focus on headline. All right, let's take a look at what major issues are making the headlines today on Focus on Headline. First up, joining us in the studio, we have our reporter Han Dan. Dan, hello to you. Good evening. Also joining us live on Zoom, we have Che Jihee. Jihee, hello to you. Hi, good evening. Heard uh, you suffered a bit of an injury, a minor injury. Yes. Hope you're doing okay. Uh, yes, I'm okay. Thank but you. if our listeners are watching us live on YouTube, it looks like you're on the studio. So it's, uh, <laughs> it's all good. It's an interesting camera work here. Uh, nevertheless, uh, guys, let's start things off again for the third straight day. All we- day this week, all week, uh, we've been kind of starting things off uh, with the runaway $1 to dollar exchange rate. Uh, really another sharp decline this morning as well. Though the figure did increase slightly at the closing of the foreign exchange market. Uh, President Yoon did vow to prevent another financial crisis stemming from uh, this exchange rate that's been dropping heavily against the U.S. dollar. G, start us off with this. Sure. So the Korean won has been losing against the dollar for months now and breached psychological thresholds uh, repeatedly, including the 1,341 level. Now, the rate fell 3.41 and closed at 1,342.11 today. And initially, the figure during the opening of the market stood at uh, 6.1 lower than the previous day and hovered around the 1,341 mark. Now, this marked the first decrease in rate in seven days since the 12th of this month. And while the 1,340 level marks the lowest point in more than a decade, it's speculated that the Korean currency could dip as low as the 1,400 level under the worst scenario. Now, this level was witnessed in Korea only twice, uh, once during the 1997 and 98 Asian financial crisis and during the 2009 and 2000, uh, 2008 and 2009 global financial crisis. And according to an investment and securities economist, uh, it appears there's no breakthrough against the rising dollar at the moment. And it's most likely to continue rallying against the Korean currency. And the bleak global economic circumstances will dent the purchasing power of Korean exporters' customers. So in turn, Korea will not benefit much from its weakening currency, which generally helps enhance the competitiveness of exporters. Uh, Meanwhile, like you said, President Yoon Seo-gyeol said today he will make thorough preparations to prevent another financial crisis and ease the people's economic burdens. Now, Yoon made the remark while presiding over a macro financial meeting with government officials and economic experts, citing the weakening one and widening trade deficit. Uh, He said during the meeting held today that compared to past crisis situations, our economy's external financial soundness has improved significantly, but we can't let down our guard for a second. Uh, And he also added he will thoroughly check and respond so that a crisis situation doesn't recall uh, recur in finance and foreign exchange and the difficulties in people's livelihoods are not intensified further. Uh, President Yoon has been presiding over emergency economic and livelihood meetings each week since the government shifted to an emergency economic platform in June to carefully look at uh, the people's livelihood issues uh, one by one individually. Now, of course, uh, one of the main reasons for why uh, we are seeing a relatively high, uh, I guess, lower 
uh, Korean won value against the greenback is because the U.S. Fed has been increasing their uh, key interest rates much faster than the BOK, uh, which is why uh, BOK, the Bank of Korea, expected to raise its key interest rates by a quarter percentage points tomorrow. Uh, we saw a big step before, uh, highly unlikely that another big step will follow suit. Uh, but this is to seek into uh, rein in inflation without damaging the economy's uh, growth prospects. So, Tan, you have uh, more on this. Right. Another rate hike is on the horizon as the central bank is expected to raise the benchmark interest rate by 25 basis points. This, as it's too early to call if the inflationary pressure has reached its peak. Korea's consumer price index rose by over 6% last month on year, hitting the highest level in over 23 years. Inflation projection for the next 12 months dropped slightly from uh, 4.7% last month to 4.3% this month, but still uh, it hovers around the 4% range. Most economists project that although inflationary pressure in the U.S. has weakened slightly, Korea will continue to see soaring prices throughout this year. The rate reversal between Korea and the U.S. is another factor pressuring the central bank for another rate hike. The U.S. Fed last month took the giant step, uh, not once but twice in a row last month, raising the interest rate by 75 basis points, up 2.25 percent compared to Korea. The BOK has no choice but to reduce the risk of foreign investment capital outflows, uh, weakening one, and an increase in import prices by narrowing the interest rate gap. So most analysts say another rate hike is inevitable, albeit in a baby step, due to lingering risks of inflation and the rate reversal between Korea and the U.S. But they say another big step is unlikely, considering the economic uncertainties and the possibility of a stagflation. They said recent analysis that the U.S. may stop or ease its monetary tightening uh, by uh, the second quarter of next year will also have an impact on the BOK's extent of its rate hike this time. According to a survey by the Korea Financial Investment Association, 97% of respondents expected another rate hike, and of them, 91% expected a raise by 25 basis points. And the BOK will also announce its uh, updated economic forecast tomorrow. So, Tana, what are the experts' projections there? Well, most analysts expect the central bank to raise its previous forecast of consumer price hike of 4.5% to the 5% range. According to some economists, the BOK will raise the figure to 5.2%, reflecting the average annual oil price that still remains high, as expected by the BOK in May, uh, as continuing high inflation in agricultural and services sectors, along with the government's electricity rate hike, are also expected to have an impact. They added prices will settle down in a later time than the U.S., peaking in late fall as prices are unlikely to drop quickly, even after prices of grains or energy uh, start to fall. If the BOK does announce a 5% range consumer price hike, it'll be the first such kind in 24 years since the 1998 IMF financial crisis. Yeah, they're saying that I did see a report earlier today that uh, food prices, like grain prices, have been going back down uh, to levels that we saw during uh, pre-Ukraine war. 
Uh, in fact, oil prices have been going down as well. But the problem is, since there's like historic droughts happening in Europe, uh, they're saying that the, the slight decline in prices, it's actually temporary. We're going to continue to see skyrocketing food prices, unfortunately. So, yeah, uh, economy-wise, doesn't look good here. Uh, but another news update on President Yoon. Uh, President and First Lady will be moving to their official residence in Hanamdong at the end of this month as renovation work apparently is almost uh, complete. So let's get the details of this, Chihi. Sure. So President Yoon Seok-yeol and his wife will move to the new presidential residence in Hanamdong, Seoul next week. Now, it's confirmed that President Yoon will move into this official residence in Hanamdong, which was used as the official residence of the Minister of Foreign Affairs. Uh, and he will move to this place on the 31st, and this will be uh, 114 days after him taking office. Now, the building remodeling project was delayed by about a month due to the monsoon season as well as the heavy rain. But recently, uh, preparations for moving in were completed, with including the tall landscaping, landscaping trees being planted throughout the residence to prevent exposure to the outside. Now, the new presidential residence is about 1,400 square meters, uh, which is half the size of the Blue House. And in the meantime, President Yoon has traveled from his residence in Seochodong to Yongsan in less than 10 minutes. But if he moves into this new residence in Hanamdong, uh, it seems that he will be able to commute to work in about five minutes, so uh, which is about half of the current commute time. Now, it's highly likely that the uh, Acrovista residence residence in Seochodong, where President Yoon and his wife have lived in for 10 years after getting married, will not be disposed and of and separately uh, and will be uh, left empty for the time being. And meanwhile, the Hanamdong government residence remodeling project raged, raised controversy earlier because it was handled by a company that was in charge of the interior design of First Lady Kim Goni's Kobana contents in the past, and the opposition party submitted a request for a government uh, investigation to the National Assembly regarding this. I mean, uh, I, I guess, uh, you know, every from the very start, the, the change in the idea of the presidential office was controversial at first. Uh, mm -hmm. Not a lot of people talking about that anymore now. So once uh, they do move in, although I did th think that uh, initially it was supposed to be, I believe, uh, one month after the inauguration that they were going to move in. But uh, right. apparently the renovations did uh, take a little bit longer. So, I mean, you know, personally, I think 10 minutes and five minutes, not a lot of difference, but five minute commute certainly is uh, a lot better than 10 minutes, half the time. Uh, still short, though. I can't believe you can go from Seochodong to Yongsan in 10 minutes uh, if you're the president. Uh, nevertheless, in other news here, uh, today marks exactly 30 years uh, since South Korea and China have established bilateral diplomatic ties. Two, two countries will be marking the day with various events in their respective capital cities this evening. Tan, uh, what can we expect from these events? Right. Uh, official anniversary ceremonies will be held concurrently at the Four Seasons Hotel in Seoul at 7 p.m. Korea time. That's uh, in just uh, about 45 minutes from now. And the Diaoyu Tai State Guesthouse in Beijing at 6 p.m. China time. The foreign ministry says foreign ministers of both countries will each attend respective events and read a letter from the leaders of the two countries. Foreign Minister Pak Jin will attend the Seoul gathering and read President Yun Sung-yeol's letter celebrating the 30-year milestone, while Chinese Foreign Minister Wang Yi, on his part, will read Chinese President Xi Jinping's congratulatory letter during 
during the Beijing event. Prior to the festivities, the two ministers will meet during a virtual event where a Seoul-Beijing joint report on the development of bilateral relations will be submitted. The report, drafted by a joint committee consisting of South Korean and Chinese experts, analyzes the two countries' achievements in the past three decades and proposes future plans as well to further bolster bilateral ties in various fields, including diplomacy and trade. South Korea and China have boosted ties across the fields of politics, economy and culture. With a particular focus on the economy, China takes up 25 percent of Korea's total exports today, a jump by a staggering 160 folds since the first since they first formed diplomatic ties. But amid evolving regional dynamics with South Korea's closest ally, the U.S. calling China the most serious threat to international order. The two are now at critical crossroads facing various challenges. Now, against such backdrop, the world is closely watching on what kind of messages will be sent by the leaders of the two countries today as they could provide clues as to the future fate of bilateral relations. Yeah, and you could certainly bet that uh, Washington is going to be watching very carefully uh, in regards to this. Because, again, you know, so far, the UN administration, I've mentioned this before, they've done a very good job in balancing relations with the United States and China. But how much further can they move forward? It seems like anytime they get a little bit closer, Closer with China, Washington's going to get a little bit upset. If uh, you know South Korea gets a little bit closer with the United States, China is going to get upset. Uh, but nevertheless, uh, it's going to be interesting to see uh, what kind of messages uh, do come out from the two leaders there. Uh, but again, there is certain issues that we just can't avoid. Uh, you know, we're seeing again some of the best, uh, better relations between the two countries, but. The Thad issue uh, a few years back, uh, this really uh, soured ties between the two countries. We did see a boycott of South Korean cult- um, cultural contents. We did see uh, many of these uh, Chinese uh, group tours uh, kind of stop uh, because of this. And then we did see a little bit of thawing afterwards. But nevertheless, uh, this remains to be solved at this time. So let, let's hear what the experts have to say about this and also find out what was discussed during the two countries' business forum uh, held earlier today. Jihee, you have more on this. Right. So, like you said, the most sensitive and important issue in the South Korea-China ties still is the re-emergence of the THAAD matter. Uh, some Chinese experts believe that if the two countries head toward a better future, issues like the THAAD deployment have to be avoided. So according to Liu Chao, uh, who's an expert on the Korean Peninsula issue at the Liaoning Academy of Social Sciences, told the Global Times on Tuesday that the THAAD deployment is an important matter, triggering misunderstanding between the two countries, causing painful memories and directly affecting not only diplomatic ties, but also economic cooperation. Uh, Liu said through it, through it was South Korean uh, politicians that had brought up the idea of uh, normalizing the operation of the military base that hosts THAAD. And clearly there are U.S. factors behind such re-emergence. And the expert is saying that they're aiming to sow sow, um, discord between South Korea and China. And also over the past few years, there have been some cultural clashes between the two states, for example, uh, that also rose 
because of the thought deployment issue. For example, some Chinese and South Korean netizens being involved in a heated online debate over the origins of kimchi and Korean traditional dress hanbok. And regarding this, uh, the expert Liu also said it's unnecessary to let online disputes affect overall national sentiment. And on the cultural side, the two sides could attribute those questions to academic discussions in order to enhance mutual understanding. Uh, meanwhile, a remote business forum between Seoul and Beijing was also held, marking the 30th anniversary of diplomatic relations between the two countries today. And during the forum, Chinese Premier uh, Li Keqiang called for quick progress in follow-up FTA negotiations with South Korea, as he described the two countries as, quote-unquote, inseparable neighbors that should work together to defend supply chain stability. Uh, also highlighting the importance of friendly win-win cooperation, Lee proposed deepening the partnerships in areas encompassing uh, advanced manufacturing, digital and green economy, as well as climate change. And following Lee's remarks, South Korean Prime Minister Han Dok-su also delivered an online speech calling for efforts to strengthen substantive bilateral cooperation in economic and other international affairs. Yeah, just uh, very quickly before we move on, uh, Chihi, you do sound like a very nice pilot right now with your uh, <laughs> headsets, but uh, your microphone, I think it's making oh, it's a lot working. No, no, it's making a lot of popping sounds. And so oh, is it? I think if you no, lower, actually, there you go, okay. there you go. If you lower it a little bit, uh, you'll sound less like a pilot and uh, more. you look very nice though on screen <laughs> she does look very oh, nice uh but uh, yeah but now like the volume is a little bit uh, lower uh uh-huh. if you could raise it up okay. a little bit okay. there okay. you go there okay. you go all right uh, nevertheless, uh it is there's so many at hand right now that the two sides really need to resolve uh but i think the biggest thing is going to be what kind of message uh, we'll be getting from both sides and uh, how, of course, uh, Washington is going to uh, respond to all this. And Hooligan KJ says, uh, legit real-life K-drama happening there. Love triangle much. Well, I mean, again, I mean, the good thing is for South Korea. I mean, everyone wants to be on the side of South Korea, right? So uh, it, it is going to be difficult, but uh, we'll see what happens uh, moving forward here. Guys, believe it or not, uh, it's already been six months since uh, Russia launched this invasion of Ukraine. Uh, We have some numbers here that say that some 9,000 Ukrainian soldiers have uh, died since the war broke out. Uh, Tan, let's get some more figures on this. SJ, Russia's invasion of Ukraine has already killed some 9,000 Ukrainian soldiers since it began nearly six months ago, according to Ukraine's military, which also added, by the way, that Ukraine's children need to be taken care of because their father went to the front line and perhaps is one of those almost 9,000 heroes who died. The UN says nearly 5,600 civilians have been killed and almost seven. 7,900 wounded in the Russian invasion of Ukraine that began on February 24th, although the estimate is likely an undercount. The UN Children's Agency said Monday that at least 970 Ukrainian children have been killed or injured since Russia invaded. UNICEF Executive Director Catherine Russell said these are UN-verified figures, but the numbers are believed to be much
much higher. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky said Monday that the total number of different Russian cruise missiles that Russia used against Ukraine is approaching 3,500. It is simply impossible to count the strikes of Russian artillery as there are so many of them, according to President Zelensky, and they are so intense. The U.S. military officials estimated two weeks ago that Russia, on the other hand, has lost between 70,000 to 80,000 soldiers, both killed and wounded in action. Six months on, and there are no signs that the war is abating. In Nikopol, across the river from Ukraine's main nuclear power plant, Russian shelling wounded four people on Monday, according to local sources. The city on the Dnieper River has faced relentless pounding since last month that has damaged hundreds of buildings and sent about half its population of over 100,000 fleeing. Now, Western nations had already scheduled a council meeting on Wednesday, the six-month anniversary of the Russian invasion on its impact on Ukraine. The Western nation, uh, as we all know, the bond is getting stronger among them, going the opposite direction as probably what uh, Russian President Putin had intended. Sweden and Finland are both joining NATO, a monumental shift for two nations with a long history of wartime neutrality and staying out of military alliances. 30 NATO member nations have already signed the protocol, accepting the two nations as members last month and are now awaiting ratifications in each member state. Here's the thing. You might be uh, saying that, well, uh, the good thing is uh, Ukraine lost less people than the Russian soldiers. But you, you can't ignore the fact that Russia did not lose any civilians. They did not lose any children who died uh, because of this war. But the, the numbers that you gave us right now, what is it? The 970 Ukrainian children having been killed or injured since the the invasion. I mean, this is ridiculous. Oh, it and just it, breaks my heart as a mother of a girl. Yeah, and we've seen stories about how Russia claims that they're only targeting like military infrastructures and things like that. Well, well, the last time I checked, I don't think a school is a military infrastructure. I don't think hospitals are, uh, in, you know, military infrastructures. And I, I believe they at one point even target like shopping malls too, right? And so... I think Russia, like you said, I mean, this, this war is not panning out uh, like they thought it was going to be. But um, it, it's shown a lot of weakness in Russia. But the fact is too many innocent lives have died because of this six-month war here that's unfortunately still going. Uh, in the meantime, though, the Ukrainian president, Vladimir Zelensky, uh, he hosted an online summit uh, to rally support for the return of the Crimean Peninsula annexed by Russia back in 2014. So, Jihi, uh, tell us what was being discussed at that summit. Sure. So this summit titled Crimea Platform, uh, Ukraine's second effort to mobilize international support for taking back Crimea from Russia, uh, Ukraine President Volodymyr Zelensky vowed to retake uh, the peninsula from Russia by any means necessary and added that Q would consult with countries before taking such action. Now, this platform is an online gathering of 60 nations and international organizations hosted by Q focused on this peninsula. Uh, Zelensky 
Zelensky told reporters, quote unquote, we will take back Crimea. It is our territory. We will do this in any way which we decide. Uh, we will decide this by ourselves without consultation with any other country in the world. And the Ukrainian president was also quoted as saying Ukraine is strong enough and powerful enough to see a perspective for Ukrainian Crimea. Uh, we will bring freedom to Ukrainian citizens in Crimea and will restore uh, justice to all those who suffered from the repressions and abuses of the Russian occupiers. And speaking of Ukraine's war with uh, Russia, Zelensky also said it began with Crimea and it will end with Crimea. It was a strong statement. And as we know, Crimea was annexed by Russia in 2014 uh, following the pro-Western Maidan revolution. And the peninsula served as a launch pad for Russia's full-scale invasion in uh, February this year, seizing chunks of Ukraine's southern, southern Kherson as well as the Zaporizhia regions. In recent weeks, uh, Ukraine has increased its attacks in Crimea with long-range weapons and drones targeting air bases, transport hubs, and etc. Uh, to win back the region. Yeah, it's uh, we saw a number of world leaders actually take part in this uh, in this summit, and uh, the one that uh, really stood out was uh, Polish President Andrzej Duda, who actually met with Zelensky uh, in person uh, through the uh, the Crimea platform. I mean, he was basically said, listen, you know, Crimea, it belongs to the, the, the Ukrainians and we need to do all we can as uh, part of the global community to uh, help, uh, you know, Ukraine win back Crimea. And this is an interesting thing because when, you know, you have Poland, which is really close to Russia, right? I mean, they, they've also been uh, very concerned over what uh, Russia has been doing. But uh, the fact that despite concerns that they're you know, Poland and uh, Russia, they do, they are very close. Uh, he was not afraid uh, to show, you know, say what's right, right, and then show support for uh, Ukraine. And of course, a number of other world leaders like Emmanuel Macron, Olaf Scholz, uh, they're all of them taking part in this summit. But guys, uh, we've also been uh, following this story very, very closely for the past six months. And we know that Although the brunt of the impact, obviously, has been on the Ukrainians, uh, we're all linked one way or another. And uh, this Ukraine invasion, the Russian invasion of Ukraine, this war there has impacted, uh, led to an energy crisis, as that's a food crisis as well. Uh, Todd, I want tell us how South Korea is going to strategize um, economy, their economy. Uh, strategy, economic strategy moving forward, because I mean, it, it, it's, this war is not going to be over in the next few months. I, I feel like it's going to go into like a lot of experts that I've been saying, maybe even till next year. So what's going to be South Korea's strategy moving forward here? You know, it's really heartbreaking to hear that over 9,000 soldiers, Ukrainian soldiers have died and over 900 Ukrainian children have died uh, absolutely for no reason. Yeah. Uh, but focusing on our national interest here, this war isn't going to be over anytime soon. And amid soaring energy prices and uh, grains and raw materials and whatnot, South Korea is on the verge of recording a trade deficit for five consecutive months, uh, which, if materializes, will be the first in 14 years. So we're, we're hearing a lot of uh, firsts. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we're hearing a lot of record level economic indices these days. Trade deficit could be prolonged, further prolonged due to evolving uh, regional dynamics, uh, which 
very much resembles the Cold War era and uh, because of continuing supply chain bottlenecks. So the trade deficit could be worsened. And um, what's alarming is that the trade balance with China has been in the red for the past three months in a row since May. This, of course, is not blamed entirely on the war in Ukraine, but um, uh, for various reasons, demand for goods made in Korea are decreasing in China. And what experts are calling for now is for South Korea to find ways to dramatically increase the competitiveness of Korean firms by nurturing new growth engines and uh, by securing future technology and nurturing more talent. Now, this should be accompanied by efforts to deregulate and create a a very favorable environment for South Korean companies to bode well on the global stage. And um, I can't stress this enough. I've said this several times already, but we need more efforts to diversify portfolio, to diversify our import channels. European countries are widening efforts to wean themselves off energy dependency on Russia. The European Energy Council continues to hold regular meetings. In fact, they had one just a couple of days ago uh, to reduce dependency on Russian gas. But I'm not seeing enough efforts, I don't think, still here in South Korea to diversify our import channels, our channels of importing uh, key critical materials. Also, uh, one of the things that we've been seeing in uh, speaking of exports is uh, South Korea has been exporting a lot of uh, military goods now. Uh, one of the main, I guess, uh, exports that we saw recently was Poland, right? Uh, purchasing a massive number of tanks. Uh, and uh, South Koreas have long been trying to improve their export numbers when it comes to military equipment. How do you think the situation right now, Chihi, is going to affect uh, South Korea's export of uh, defense materials or uh, military equipments moving forward? Well, ironically, uh, despite concerns over an economic recession and the growing trade deficit, the defense industry of South Korea has entered really a new growth phase. And as the security crisis escalated, of course, because of Russia's invasion of Ukraine and many countries around the world are starting to increase their armaments, uh, local defense companies that have focused on customer management for a long time based on their own technological know-hows have really seized their opportunity. Uh, However, the recent surge in arms deals with countries, including Poland, like you said, has prompted questions of whether Korea should consider issues of human rights and democracy when exporting weapons. Uh, And well, in addition to these major deals, other than that with Poland, uh, there have been uh, ones with uh, contracts with Australia, Egypt last December, and the rapid growth of South Korean arms exports really helped coin a new term. I mean, we like to put K in front of everything we're proud of, right? And so the new term K defense has risen uh, during these times. And if these expert trends continue, uh, some predict that South Korea is set to climb from its current eighth place to become the fifth largest arms exporter in the world. Uh, However, the rise of Korean defense sector can't solely be explained by the cost effectiveness of uh, our weapons. Uh, Besides economic factors, there are uh, various complicated international as well well as geopolitical factors that play major roles when it comes to the country's arms exports. Uh, For example, not only the Ukraine-Russia issue, but if we look at those countries that have imported uh, South Korea 
Korean weapons. The purpose has been to counter, of course, threats from Russia, but also threats from China, uh, such as India and Australia. Um, but weapons are completely different products, as we know, from phones or cars. They're directly related to life and death. Uh, and both sides of a conflict can make use of arms exports. And weapons invoke a sense of fear and a need to resist. Uh, so it prompts their use. Uh, meanwhile, arms exports have been controversial in terms of, like I said earlier, democratic values and human rights. And so amidst the this rise in export trends of our armament, uh, South Korea's defense minister Lee Jong-sop said that the ministry is also paying attention to universal human values such as human rights when exporting uh, weapons. And they don't simply look at the money to decide whether or not to export uh, weapons to a specific country. But the Ministry of Foreign Affairs does a lot of checks on uh, these issues and makes decisions based on discussions between ministries related to foreign affairs and security. So, um, I mean, it's something we should really think about. Uh, from the perspective of the defense uh, industry, it could be something that will help their growth, but is it really something that we should be happy about? Yeah, it's something we should... Well, I mean, yeah, I do understand that some people raise the, the ethics of this, right? You're basically mm -hmm. saying by providing these uh, military the weapons, you're fueling war and things like that. But uh, mm -hmm. I see it the other way around is... It's rare that we see wars, um, and but the the thing is, it's also a deterrence, right? In order to avoid wars, uh, you need these weapons, uh, and I mean, come on, like like no one needs like four thousand fighter jets, right? Like no one goes to a war to that in that scale anymore. But it's a deterrence. No one needs like a thousand plus uh, nuclear warheads. Uh, it's it's a deterrence, and so. That's what Poland is doing, right? Poland is, you know, buying all these military equipment as a deterrence just in case Russia decides to move in or something like that. Mm -hmm. uh, so, yeah, but I do understand there there is the, the ethics side of this. And people are saying, you know, you're creating more wars and you're, you know, killing people. You're, these weapons kill people and things like that. Uh, very quickly, I just wanted to mention uh, one uh, comment by listener. Patrick Pierzer is joining us for the first time in a while here. Uh, he says, by the way, Western leaders are leaders of their own countries, but not of the world. The designation world leaders is irritating when we use the word world leaders we don't mean they're the world leaders it's just terminology because we can't name them as like the president of poland the president of france the pre they're the leaders in the world uh so to speak we're not calling them world leaders as they're running the entire world or anything like that we even call like P putin's technically a world leader uh you know xi jinping's a world leader uh president yun is a world leader part of the world is what we're talking about so if you're referring to them being like the world leading the entire world. Uh, that's not what we mean. Uh, also, Russian warplanes entering South Korea's air defense identification zone or is on Tuesday without notice, prompting the Korean Air Force to scramble fighters to the scene. So, Tom, let's get more on this. Right. The Joint Chiefs of Staff said several, several Russian warplanes entered the air, air defense zone and the South Korean military took tactical steps in preparation against possible accidents, meaning Korean fighter jets were deployed to the scene and sent warnings to ward them off. The announcement came after 
The Russian Defense Ministry announced that two of their strategic missile carriers for long-range aviation performed a scheduled flight in the airspace over the neutral waters of the Sea of Japan. Of course, here referring to the East Sea, very inaccurate labeling of the water surrounding the Korean Peninsula. And that South Korea's F-16 fighter jets flew to the scene. The Air Defense Zone, or Cadiz for short, is different from territorial airspace, but is delineated to call on foreign planes to identify themselves so as to prevent accidental clashes. And normally, foreign planes make a prior notice when entering. Russia's unannounced flight comes a day after South Korea and the U.S. kicked off their joint military drills, known as the Utsi Freedom Shield, the largest scale joint drills the two allies have conducted in recent years. And so the move is widely seen as a protest against the ongoing exercises. Two major mistakes by Russia, one entering into the Cadiz and the other calling it Sea of Japan. <laughs> as that's the second one even bigger of a mistake here. <laughs> Uh, very quickly, I, I just Chihi, uh, let's uh, keep this one really short because I can't yeah. believe this is really happening. Uh, there's a controversy over a travel company that began advertising trips to Ukraine so tourists can see what it's like to live in the middle of a war zone. You got to be kidding me! Is this true? Yes, so a travel company called Visit Ukraine has launched a campaign to bring tourists to some of the zones affected by the war in Ukraine. And the founder of uh, this company said that these trips are to show the world how Ukraine continues with its daily life despite the war and to give testimony of the reconstructed areas as well as to help this company. Uh, company. Uh, well, the website said Visit Ukraine begins work on the launch of dark tourism in Ukraine and the tours typically comprise of about 10 people led by a guide even and they take about three to four hours and uh, the website said that it takes people to uh, places that have been affected by the war well apparently the tourist site has not received any official approval from the ukrainian government but the company explained that all profits from tour sales will go to the uh, go to help ukrainian refugees but still, though, I mean, this is, yeah. I, I think it's a little bit too much here. Uh, nevertheless, guys, uh, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, G, I hope you feel better. Uh, Tan, thank you very much for joining us in the studio. Stay safe, guys, and we'll see you guys again. Thank you. Thank you. You can listen to Korea Now with me, SJ Lee, by downloading the Arirang Radio application or tune in online by visiting www.arirangradio.com. So make sure you tune in Mondays through Fridays, 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Korea time.